Hello there, friends, and welcome to Down the Yellow Brick Pod, your enchanted passport and sometimes twister over the rainbow and down a yellow brick rabbit hole as we pull back the curtain on American culture's most visited fairyland. We are your co-hosts, Tara and MK, your good trouble witches of the concrete jungle, here to preserve the rustic emeralds of yesteryear and reimagine an Oz for today and future generations. This season, our third, we return to Baum and the turn of the 20th century, finishing up our remaining 13 books in the original Oz series penned by first royal historian of Oz himself, L. Frank Baum, and published between 1904 and 1920 posthumously. And then we return to Oz, taking up residency in Disney's dark, disturbing, and kind of delayed fantasy sequel of the Kinder Trauma Age, scarring viewers since 1985, a near 50 years after the MGM release. Wheelers in shock therapy and screaming heads. Oh my, we are in for a wild ride. Buckle up, babies. Off the pod, feel free to visit our Insta at Down the Yellow Brick Pod for an accompanying Technicolor scrapbook, as well as our Patreon Pod Squad, where we continue the escapism and entertainment with bonus content from Tiny Oz Concerts, think coffee shop style covers and mashups of Aussie tunes, our Yellow Brick vlogs, exclusive episodes, monthly parties with occasional special guest drop-ins and giveaways, and more behind-the-scenes shenanigans. As a community-funded podcast, our Patreons are truly our backbone, our people. So consider joining our pod squad today. It would make our day. Now, may the world of Oz continue to be a bewitching escape in bewildering years, nostalgic and nuanced, and a magical refuge where two gals in New York City can cross yellow brick roads with wonders like you. Hey, M, to Oz? To Oz! Jane Albright discovered the Oz books as a child. Her Oz books and memorabilia won a Kansas University book collecting contest in 1977, resulting in a public exhibit that shifted her interest from reading and collecting to sharing Oz with others. She's since provided exhibit material to libraries, museums, art museums, and Oz Club conventions. In 1989, her collection was featured in an award-winning summer-long display at Kansas City's Crown Center. For the 75th anniversary of the film, a follow-up there drew more than 100,000 people. In 2014, she also returned to that same KU library for an exhibit of her finer Oz, Baum, and Denslow material. Jane joined the Oz Club in 1971 and began attending the Ozmopolitan Convention shortly thereafter. She has served as a director, vice president, and convention chairman. For a decade, she edited a club children's publication, the Oz Gazette, and was the desktop publisher for the Oz Observer. Her short stories have been published in Oziana. She has also contributed to the Bomb Bugle. Today, Oz items fill an entire floor of her home. She coordinates the club's national convention program and attends Oz events around the country. During the Oz Club Centennial Celebration of Oz in 2000, which she chaired, Jane was presented with the L. Frank Baum Memorial Award. Jane currently serves as the president of the International Wizard of Oz Club. Hello, listeners. Hello, Madame President Jane Albright. Hello, MK. Here we are gathering for the three girls in Oz. Wait, is that us? Or was that the original book title for this oh. book that we're venturing into? Maybe. But the book we're actually here for today is The Lost Princess in Oz that had a few other titles before they came on that one. And to get us in, friends, I have kind of, you know, a nice, like, soulful, fresh air NPR question to get us going. <laughs> so the end of this book, it's pretty abruptly ended. I'm going to just jump right to the ending. We end in the villain of this book asking for forgiveness and also kind of wanting to repent, not wanting to be completely left, like, you know, off the hook, wanting to stay in the transformed form that Dorothy magic belted him into. So 
I kind of love, I'm loving this theme of forgiveness right now, especially as a moon witch. Um, this new moon that we had recently um, is all about what you can forgive yourself for, especially since we're in a Mercury in retrograde and miscommunications, mishaps just, you know, are a flutter right now. So would love to hear if there's anything you can forgive yourself for, just like our villain of this book does at the end of this book, if you would not mind sharing. <laughs> Ooh, you're taking us to church this morning. <laughs> yep. Fess up, baby. Fess up. <laughs> That's the kind of question you need to think about in advance. You got oh, this, no. Jane. We're off the cuff here, baby. <laughs> Dear. I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth, Jane. I know. We'll see. We're going to let the heart lead. <laughs> it's always hard for me to say no to people. And sometimes uh, you need to say no to people because the amount of time and resources that will be consumed if you say yes are just unreasonable. And yeah. I think that's one of the hardest things for me to accept that I have to do if I want to get the long-term goals accomplished. I just can't get sidetracked helping too many people with smaller projects that um, I just don't have the time for. So that might be a good answer. That's a great That's a answer. great answer. Forgiving the overextension of yes. Yes. And mm. <laughs> yes. That Constant learning know. lesson. Yeah, that is a, that is a lesson. I'm the same way. In the moment, mm. if you catch me and I'm excited, because I always want to help someone too. I'm the same way. I love being a helper. But it is true. If you don't um, add up all the time that will be spent, if you don't do the math beforehand, you can get yourself in a pickle for sure. Well, it's particularly tough as the president of the Oz Club. People ask me to do things yes, that the club like should want to do. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. oh, yeah, we, we want to be a resource. We want to be helpful. And yet occasionally um, it just turns out to be a rabbit trail that will just have no end in the amount of time you have to give it. And there are other things for which I'm responsible to the club that I absolutely have to put my time into. And there are only mm -hmm. so many hours in the day. Mm -hmm. I know, Jane. I've been asking for more for a while, but no one's listening. <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> no one's listening. <laughs> well, Jane, we're happy you were a yes for us today, but we also... Yeah, absolutely. We, next time we see you give a no, we're going to applaud you. Yeah, you can say no to us anytime <laughs> and we'll be like, yes! <laughs> oh man I relate I relate to that one that's it's so hard to uh, like set a boundary that actually will help you and help the people that you love by saying no I think jumping off of that I feel like I can forgive myself for I hope this makes sense having bad days I think yeah. I I definitely put pressure on myself to always be very bubbly and optimistic and smiling, like literally smiling. And I sometimes feel guilty if I'm not smiling or if I don't feel like smiling that day or if I'm just having a, a rougher day. And I kind of beat myself up about that. Um, and I think that also extends to like my loved ones. They're allowed to have bad days as well. They, We all just need to go through what we're going through. So <laughs> I forgive myself for not always being sparkly, bright, happy, you know, but all the M, time. You don't always have to be a pocket full of sunshine. I got another pocket full of sunshine. That's <laughs> your rewrite. So true. You don't have to. <laughs> rewrite. Yes, yes. Oh, so I that's love my that. answer today. I love that. Um, I'm going to piggyback off the two of yours. Like I'm going to say yes and to both of yours. And I'm going to forgive myself for feeling like a lost princess right now to get into our theme of our book. Um, just really feeling such a pull towards change, but still not quite sure where those changes come from. And I think I'm also recognizing that I come from like a lineage of people who wait for permission slips who wait to be given things, who wait, which like feels better, I think, you know, like to be given something feels great. Like, here's this magical opportunity. There's like a sense of value, I think, that comes with that. That's not quite the same when you're giving it to yourself. Um, so I think whatever this change is needs to come from me, but I'm still very uncertain of what it is. And it's, 
I think like whenever I step into what this exploration of this change, I immediately start to feel like I'm a nuisance. I should know like all these kinds of stories come up. So I want to forgive myself for the man, the like just wanting to escape the unknown a little bit and have some known. Um, But also I'm recognizing that I'm exactly where I need to be right now. Even though it's uncomfortable AF, I'm here. And sweating bullets in this heat. <laughs> sweating We're all bullets. a lost princess. Lost princess. Point. Well, we should go find. That's a beautiful term. Thanks. Um, we should go find our girl, Ozma. What do you think? Let's do Let's it. Let's do it. Welcome back, listeners. We're so glad to have you here for the 11th book in L. Frank Baum's original Oz series. And again, I mean, another shout out. We're so glad to have the president of the Oz Club and a dear friend of ours, Jane Albright here. Thank you so much for being here, Jane. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. Such a fun way to spend time. Yes, I know. Yeah. Can we just do this all day, every day? That'd be great. I guess you do, Jane. We're trying to get to your level. We're trying. So we are diving into The Lost Princess of Oz, published June 5th, 1917. We're almost on the anniversary of it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. We timed that out, you know. (laughs) Um, Diving into our bullets. Tara, are you ready to kick us off on this journey? Absolutely not. This is a hot (laughs) mess express, this bullet. Okay, she's breathing. She's breathing. Okay. Bullet point number one. Welcome to the Nancy Drew of Oz, because what's this? Princess Ozma has gone missing, vanished without a trace, causing a commotion in Emerald City and canceling Betsy and Trot's Munchkinland vacation plans. Womp womp. <laughs> Followed soon by the news that Glinda's great book of records has also mysteriously disappeared, along with the wizard's black bag of magical objects. Masteria! This is too much to handle. While simultaneously, in a secluded corner of winky country, atop a high plateau, we are introduced to the yips. <laughs> Welcome. Who are also hearing the cries of thief as Cake the cookie cook I love her, reports the burglary of her prized dishpan to the land's wisdom whisperer and advisor, the frogman. An oversized frog enchanted by a pool of water. The yips on baseless grounds claim to be wiser than others. Advising Cake to leave the yips to find the thief while also agreeing to go with her. At first with nine other yips who eventually return home. The frogman jumping with Cake on his back over a gulf to Winky Country where he learns that Cake must have this pan back because it's a magical family heirloom and the only reason she bakes the world's best cookies which clearly he is also invested in. While back in the Emerald City, an all-star Oz Avengers team of four search parties begin to form to find the napper of Ozma and magic. Ojo, Unknunky, and Dr. Pipped to their native Munchkinland, the Scarecrow, and Tin Man Bromance to Quadling Country, <laughs> the team I'd like to be on of TikTok, Jack Pumpkinhead, the Shaggy Man, and his still-unnamed brother. While back in the Emerald City, an all-star Oz Avengers team of four search parties begin to form to find the Napper of Ozma and Magic, Ojo, Unknunky, and Dr. Pipped to their native Munchkin Country, the Scarecrow, and Tin Man Bromance to Quadling Country, the team I'd like to be on of TikTok, Jack Pumpkinhead, the Shaggy Man, and his still-unnamed brother to Gillikin Country, and Dorothy, who we find out later smartly wears the magic belt, though uncertain of its powers, assembling her own girl squad and animals with the wizard to go to Winking Country. Including Trot, the patchwork girl, Scraps, woo, she's back, and Betsy, Hank the Mule, the Sawhorse, the Cowardly Lion, (laughs) the Woozy, and a last-minute joining of Toto, who also cries thief about his missing growl. I'm still not okay that he talks. While Cap'n Bill stays behind as an interim ruler, next 
our winky search party meeting a shepherd who warns them of the vicious lands ahead, like the merry-go-round mountains, which luckily is only like an old Coney Island spinning disc ride our friends are able to bounce on through, though they had to leave their supplies behind and continue on towards a walled-off city in the distance that keeps escaping from them as they draw nearer while also getting pricked by thistles, ouch, which thanks to their blankets, they are able to walk over. And then, defying logic, Scraps briefly walks through the opposing wall, which it so seems is an optical illusion throwback from her own book, Book 7, The Patchwork Girl of Oz. Yes. Okay, that is one big bullet point. I definitely skimmed. I definitely skimmed and skipped. (laughs) Don't you worry. The Oz Avengers are here to save the day, and I'm so here for it. Woohoo! Awesome. All All right. right. Well, taking us through the middle of this journey. Bullet point number two. Approaching a new city populated by creatures with heads shaped like diamonds and bodies shaped like hearts, our rescue group learns the city of Thi is secretly ruled by Cocolorum. I think it's Thi, like Thi. Thistle. Oh, that's smart. That is smart. <laughs> like no M. I no M. think it's Thi. Like I think it's Thistle. <laughs> Well, it would make more sense, but it's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, like when you're trying to read the haiku kulorum of thi, the th- it's thi? not cute. I know. <laughs> Bomb is everyone. Also, that is my Zencaster name today. Just need to presence that the haiku kulorum. Haiku haiku mm. I'm obsessed with Cuckoo these Cuckoo names. Lorem. You're right. Oh my god. Coco Ruled Lorem. by Coco Kukulorum. Yes. All yes, the inhabitants yes. eat. Thistles, as in the, and their insides or thistles. <laughs> this happens to me every time. And their insides are lined with gold. Fierce, warned Weird. of the dangers. <laughs> I know that doesn't. How does this work? Mm-mm. Warned of the dangers of the nearby her Hercules, Hercules. Oh yeah, Hercules. <laughs> sure, our friends settle in for the night. Toto sharing that he has sadly lost his growl, my favorite part of Obsessed. And the next morning, Button Bright is once again lost, his favorite pastime, during which he (laughs) eats a delicious peach with a golden core that he is told by a passing bird is enchanted, created by Ugu the Shoemaker, another shoemaker. My gosh. Patchwork rescues dear BB (laughs) and our friends. People need shoes in the land of Oz, okay? Patchwork rescues dear BB and our friends continue on to the her- Herkus, ruled by very thin people who force giants to do their bidding, all Weird. ruled by Vig the Sorrower, who is so strong because he ingests Zo-so-so. Zo-so-so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I said it. <laughs> oh, my God. Who shares about Ugu the Shoemaker's magical powers and his residency in a wickerwork castle to the west. Ooh, yes. Wickerwork. <laughs> Wick- wickerwork. Wickerwork. Sw- switching our story back over to Cake and Frogman, we discover Frogman bathing in the Truth Pond truthfully sharing with Cake that he is not so wise after all. And Cake refuses to bathe herself as telling the truth is simply embarrassing and could lead to unkindness. Woof bomb, dropping some hot takes here. After encountering a fair... After encountering a Mm. ferryman who was punished by the Tin Woodman and can't communicate with animals anymore, Cake and Frogman meet Corporal Waddle, a brown bear who introduces (laughs) them to their king, the Lavender Bear, who in turn introduces them to the little pink bear who tells the truth whenever he is wound up. Sharing that Ugu does indeed have Cake's dishpan, Frogman and Cake convince the king and Little Pink Bear to join them to retrieve their lost items. The next day, our two groups finally cross paths and a proper rescue mission for Ozma and the dishpan ensues after the King Lavender Bear creates an illusion of Ugu, revealing the stolen items as he gazes upon them in Ozma's magic picture. And it all takes a horror film turn when Ugu suddenly snaps to look at them, beckoning them to come and get him. 
<laughs> yeah. That moment, that moment freaked me out. He was like, I'm watching you. That watching was scary. Me. I said yeah. horror movie also like gave me Stranger Things I was just four vibes. Say. Yep, just started that <laughs> which yesterday. that like haunted mansion that is now mm-hmm. we're getting to see in two, which I don't like. I literally fell off the couch watching episode two of Stranger Things season four. And my first instinct was to run and grab my phone and go, MK, do not watch this alone. <laughs> Thank you, Tara. I had already watched it, sadly. And it oh was frightening. Oh my gosh, I was I frightened. Know. They kept doing flashbacks to things that I just know. kept getting me. Patrick was on the floor because I was literally losing my mind watching Stranger It's a Things. scary one. Yeah. Also, thank you for our um, DMs. Right. Also, thank you for um, the reminder of the liar, liar, Jim Carrey moment that the poor, the poor right? um, frog, I forgot about that. <laughs> the frog That's a big moment. And Cake is like, no, I'm not having it. <sighs> we got to talk about that moment. Yeah. We got to. All right, There's Jane. something there. So I'm supposed to wrap Take up this home. book after those first first and second sections. My um, prepared bullet isn't quite so long, no, so I'll improvise good. a bit. <laughs> the final chapters of The Lost Princess of Oz need to resolve the adventure, obviously, as the conclusion of any book will. And Bomb spins, it seems to me, like chapters on wordplay. <laughs> we have the little pink bear who speaks the truth and people don't understand him. So they accuse him of being broken, offending the bear king and starting this dynamic. Meanwhile, as you mentioned, the frogman dove into a truth pond unwittingly. And now he too is speaking the truth mm, all truth the time. So that's sort of a crazy little bomb way of um, getting the reader to try and figure out what's really happening by understanding What's being spoken, even when the other characters don't? Mm -hmm. The characters now have to get to Ozma. That is the main question. From what they've seen in Bear City, they know she's in this castle or that that's at least where Ugu is. Um, His background, we get introduced to finally and understand that he's actually not that bad a guy. He's from a long family of magicians who just happened upon his family's keepsakes his family's collection of magic ephemera and started exploring it and it was there that he learned about the magic objects that he ceased to or that he um proceeded to steal around oz and we learned that kidnapping ozma was not even his plan that was totally an accident she showed up while he was in the midst of burglary and he took her along with him the Wicker Castle, I thought, was a crazy notion and um, probably inspired by the Wicker Furniture and the Bomb's family home. That mm-hmm. we go through, we get to the castle, the little pink bear continues to not make sense to our characters. The cast is challenged by magic. There are illusions of fire, a giant wall, an army of women with sharp spears. And the wizard, who, as we know from the Wizard of Oz, long has a long history with illusions. He manages to conquer each one of them, basically with his knowledge, despite not having magic at his yes. beck and call. He knows what's going on, and he's managed to conquer the illusions. There's a wonderful line about girls being the fiercest soldiers of all that reminds me Mm -hmm. of um, the land of Oz. And then we get into the castle, the confrontation with Yugu and the castle, the room they're in rotates. I am picturing Fred Astaire dancing on the ceiling as this room rolls, you know, whatever, 40 years later, 30 years later, but um, they're trapped in this rotating room. And suddenly, voila, magic to the rescue, as is often the case in Oz. A lot of this book, it wouldn't even be a book if the magic hadn't been stolen, because the magic would have found Ozma clear back in chapter one. (laughs) Now, here we are at the end of the story, and Dorothy somehow has managed to discover, ah, what's that around your waist? The magic belt, and she uses that um, to transform Yugu following it, who then fights with the frogman in one of our big dramatic moments, gets the dishpan and he disappears. Yes. So the story is about to wrap up because our characters are getting everything back. But they still haven't found Ozma and the dishpan has vanished. Well, in typical bomb fashion, having everything come back to something any little young American reader would understand. The wizard discovers Ozma with his pocket knife and she is released. Um, The dove transformation that, that 
Dorothy had done with the shoemaker, um, as Tara mentioned earlier at the head of the program, becomes a permanent transformation as our remorse-filled bad guy, um, you know, typical of everything on eyes is so lovely and wonderful. And when he sees that he realizes that he doesn't want to be the bad guy. He wants to, he wants to be a part of everything. So he uh, is remorseful, all ends well. And our last line, anyone who's sorry just has to be forgiven very much speaks of the way um, bombs land of Oz works. Mm. Anyone who's sorry can be forgiven or must be forgiven. Oh, yes. Nice work, James. This is great. Ah, I'm happy. That wraps up the plot. (laughs) Oh, man. So many crazy moments. The whirlwind look at Lost Princess of Oz. I'm so happy we're in this book together. I know. This is a fun one. Yeah. So this is is. the only book to start in the Emerald City out of Bombs stories. Mm. The only one to begin Mm. there, which is pretty cool. So just a little bit on the history. This book was two years in the making, which is kind of, I think, seen in this one. This does not feel like he wrote this one quickly as some of the other ones <laughs> definitely can feel that. Like, Definitely feels like this one had time to be fleshed out, which is great. So he started mm-hmm. writing this in 1915, all on from a suggested idea from an 11-year-old girl who wrote in so, so bless cute. that 11 year old girl we'll talk a little bit about the pro the prologue in this in a second or the preface in a second because mm-hmm. it is quite special the preface really it is really mm-hmm. got my heart that i purchased this book from books of wonder mm-hmm. i have my own i have like the barnes and noble collection i ha- don't have any of the like color plates versions of this so i wanted to have one i was like i'm gonna go with this one because that intro really yeah spoke to me and we'll talk a little bit about that in a second but it's also dedicated to his little granddaughter ozma while this book is all about finding ozma which is just really sweet like there's a nice little Mm -hmm. sweetness in that but so many titles for this book before it became Mm -hmm. the last princess of oz first it was three girls in oz which apparently i think the publishers were like boys won't read it, you know, type of pushback on it, which there's a lot always to say about like marketing and why people do things. And then I think it went to Adventures in Oz was next, which he also alluded to in the previous preface of our last book of Rink-A-Tink. So that was also on the table, which I don't think is as good as Lost Princess, I will say. And before it was Lost Princess, Lastly, it was the lost ruler instead of lost princess. So a nice mm. little um, chain of former titles before we land it on this one. And it is like the first like mystery <laughs> to be solved really in the land of Oz, which is great. Um, we I love get, that like, you referred to it as Nancy Drew because it does feel like that. Party boys. Like, like, everything's <laughs> lost. Everything is lost. And <laughs> so yeah, cute. we're like kind of witnessing all of our Oz folks as muggles to steal a Harry Potter yeah, term. And true. like Jane said, like this book could not have happened if any of them had their magic because they would have solved it in a second. They had to go yeah. on this epic adventure. And also this would start a sales climb in Oz books. Um Baum also was kind of relinquishing all other interests and hobbies and filmmaking ambitions because his health was really starting to decline right now. He was diagnosed with a gallbladder disease that he started to ignore as well to kind of keep pushing through his writing. Um, mm-hmm. And that would be something that would really contribute to his um, his ending in a couple of years, which is very sad that he ignored those signs just to keep working, um, which I understand. I've done things like that too, ignoring health signs just to keep working. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he was on, under constant gallbladder attacks during this. So a lot of pain around this book. Just want to witness that for him, that he continued to write. Um, And I hope that Oz was like a painless place for him to escape to and gave him some help during this hard health time that he was going through. But this was his main focus. He had his one book a year going with the Edith Van Dyne, that series. He had that one book going. And everything else was relinquished. So he really wasn't thinking about this book becoming a stage show like every other book. He always kind of had that like hidden in his brain so he could add as many characters as he wanted. He wasn't like limited to 
um, having it have to adapt. <laughs> like he just let it be what it needed to be in the form of a novel, which is really cool. We haven't really seen that in quite some time. Like since honestly, like the wonderful wizard of Oz, which was just the first and didn't know everything that was going to come after it. So that's just a little bit about the history there. Any add ons to history? I guess I would throw in since Rinkatink had been the previous yes. book, which had not been written to be an Oz yes. book. I think he had a lot more time yes. to develop mm-hmm. the Lost Princess of Oz as an Oz story, um, and it, it shows pulling in so many favorite characters, mm-hmm. and at the same time choosing not to have the Scarecrow and Tin Man be the stars <laughs> of the book, and to raise up some other people. Also, you mentioned the Edith Van Dyne books. I think between. The Aunt Jane's Nieces books and the Mary Louise books, Baum had really has some experience going now with these girls' adventure yes. stories, these girls solve a mystery stories. And I see a lot of that incorporated into Lost Princess. In addition to being dedicated to Ozma, mm-hmm. who was, you know, a newborn infant. Their niece, Matilda Jewel Gage, had been living with them through all of 1916 and when he was writing this book. So he had sort of a live-in teenage girl whose adventures and experiences with her friends out at Mm. Oscott in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. no doubt gave him some interactions and observations that he could work into this story as well. I felt like it's a tribute not just to Ozma, um, granddaughter Ozma, but um, also sort of a celebration of young le- young ladies of his day to focus <laughs> on the three girls and can't help but think that that might have been in part to honor um, his really beloved niece, Matilda. Love that. Oh, that is so sweet. We, I think we mentioned this in a previous episode. I feel like Baum got to have perhaps the daughter he never got to have within mm-hmm. the land mm-hmm. of Oz. Um, and like also his love for his other family members, like his nieces and his neighbors, the little girls who used to come and listen to him. There's something really sweet to that. Mm -hmm. The only thing I dove into history wise a little more was Ozma bomb. So I just, (laughs) I just lift her up, lift her up. Cause I was like, what? So is it true? I mean, Jane and Terry probably know more than me, but she was born Frances Ozma Baum. So her yes. middle name was Ozma, but she was born Frances. But I also read that she preferred the nickname Scraps. Scraps. Get it. <laughs> she did. She's everything. She tried to change. She tried to change her name in grade school to Scraps <laughs> instead of being Ozma. That is so she's like, um, Grandpa? I identify more with I the like patchwork this. girl. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. And I also found it crazy that. Her dad, so her dad was Baum's son, Kenneth, and he was mm-hmm. married to a woman named Dorothy. Just all the names. <laughs> what I remember thinking, Kenneth was, he himself was uh, the youngest of the boys, and he would have been born like, uh, you know, I, here I have it in front of me, 1891. So he was just a little kid. He was just eight, nine, ten years old mm-hmm. as The Wizard of Oz was coming onto the scene. And as the stories developed and the sequels came out, he was still a young reader at home, the age of Baum's readers. Mm-hmm. So um, it, you just kind of have to wonder his love for the character Ozma, you know, that he would name his daughter that. Was he just honoring his dad or had he grown up loving these yeah. stories? From yeah. the level of a child whose heart goes out to the characters. Ooh, um, yes. And he, he wrote an Oz book himself later. Yes. Oh, Kenneth, the yes. youngest son, Dinah Monster. It wasn't published for decades. Eventually, Chris Dillaboon pu- published it for Buckethead. And um, Ozma wrote the afterword for it in an essay about her dad. But, you know, so he was, he was a very committed to the Oz books son of the four. He was one of those that was really involved and naming his, his daughter Ozma, I just thought was appropriate and really charming. Yeah. So sweet. And I think we're going to see more of Ozma because I read that she's in a documentary about return to Oz called the whimsical world of Oz, or it was made to publicize return to Oz. So I think she's going to return as we dive into that later on this summer. Super. And her, 
daughter is her daughter Gita or yes. is that her? Mm, oh, no, that's her Gita is her daughter. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay, cool. and Gita's yeah. still pretty active too in the Oz spiritual world, which you know I am all about. <laughs> Love this so, so much. Thank you, M, for that. Um, also, we'll get into this as we go along. This is something Rebecca Longcrane mentions in her L. Frank Baum biography. Um, just the influence of amusement park rides on this book mm. um, really coming on in because this was the golden age of amusement parks starting to pop up everywhere. So just to read a little bit, just to get us historical context in here, and I'll bring up some specific things as we go along. Um Beyond the Emerald City, Oz has become an amusement park fairground, stationary, mapped, and known, but full of rip-roaring rides, she says. Now, she says, enabled by electricity and developments in engineering, Ferris wheels, roller coasters, and water slides sprang up everywhere in our country. The early 1900s were the golden age of amusement parks, which were often called White City, Dreamland, or Lunar Park. The Scream Machine roller coasters were usually called the Twister, the Cyclone, or the Whirlwind, which is also kind of fun. It kind of crisscrosses over with some Oz themes. And these parks and their mechanical rides enabled children to escape their hometowns momentarily to go on a high-speed adventure that shook up their bodies and minds in ways travel was supposed to. Also, guess what, y'all? Tonight, I'm going to the Astoria Carnival, and I can't what? wait. Fun. Can't oh wait. My I will gosh. ride a Ferris wheel if it's not $10. <laughs> I know. You never know. I will ride it. Can't wait to hear about that. Um, I actually, because of this, like, I was like, oh my gosh, like, what other things in Oz feel like theme park rides and I was thinking about Quacks as well from um TikTok yeah like how they rode him and then like all those dragon coasters that are usually at mm. hometown amusement parks I was like huh that's so funny it kind of well, reminds me we have me dragons of in this book we have dragons in yes. this book with the jewel dragon that that drags Jeweled. the um carriages Jeweled yeah. dragons yeah something. dragons are everywhere in Oz I did yeah. not know that before reading these books yeah. they are now, everywhere you do know that Oz was in the shoots the first theme park Okay, I'm getting blank stares. There was a no. Place wait, called, say that again. What do you mean? There was a theme park, an uh, amusement park called the Shoots, C H U T E S, the okay. Shoots in Chicago. I okay. forget the year, but it's like you know, 1900 something, really, really early. Okay. And one of the attractions ri- written about in the paper was that you, um, it was a like a dark ride. So I don't know if it was on a boat or a car or something, but you went through this. Oh. But you pass through that. You see the fairies of Oz and pass through the poppy fields. <gasps> What? So we know that in the shoots, the very first um, American amusement park, there were Oz attractions. Oh my gosh! Where did you That's say this? I, was I need this. It, right it was in now. Chicago. In Chicago. It was yeah. It was called Shoots. An Oz Club member named Stan Barker wrote an article about it for the Bomb Bugle years ago. I have all the bugles behind me, but I don't know which issue that was in to put my hands on it really fast and read you. But How yeah, do you not know that, Jane? <laughs> the, the fairies of Oz and the, they might've called it the enchanted poppy fields or the magic poppy what? fields or something that further made it sound like it had to have been about Oz. Okay. Theme park. And I have to so dive cool. into this. Always a crossover. Yeah. yeah. I'll find, I'll see if I could find any kind of pictures to put on our wow. Instagram while this episode is in its week release. Yeah. That is so cool. I'm mm-hmm. literally saying that on the podcast to be like, hey, Tara, when Go you're do this. this, note that. <laughs> note that, yep. baby. Yep. I, I think oh, it I might just it. be a text paragraph or two in a news clipping somewhere. I've Ooh, never seen okay. any sort of I'll image. look for the news Still, clipping. Yeah. I'm on Google right now, and there's. I think you're going to find some things, future Tara. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you, future Tara. Thank you, past M to future Tara. Hi, good witches. Tara here. As a self-identifying Buena Strega who recently enrolled in tarot school, marrying my tarot practice with the Land of Oz has recently become a dream come true thanks to the Shadows of Oz tarot deck. The original Shadows of Oz tarot deck launched successfully on Kickstarter in 2014 and pretty quickly sold out. Luckily, the second and even more elegantly printed bomb silver edition remains available today through Elusive Comics and Games via Illogical Associates, a comic gaming and storytelling space with a special love of Oz. Em, can you tell us what the new bomb silver edition features? Yes, witch! It features a new introduction by Dr. Gita Morena, psychotherapist and author of The Wisdom of Oz, as well as great-granddaughter of L. Frank Baum. 
silver foil accents on the card backs and the deck box, completely reversible card backs, enhanced and improved colors on all card faces, new softer texture and colored edges for the cards, high quality art paper, an 80 page booklet, you do not need to be a tarot expert, my friend, and a two-part box, which holds both the deck and the booklet. Check on out this marvelous deck at illogicalassociates.com or visit Elusive Comics on Etsy to begin your tarot journey down the yellow brick road. Again, that is illogicalassociates.com or Elusive Comics on Etsy. Should we talk about this beautiful to my readers intro to this book? Because... I mean, the quote of all time, I think, for Bomb is in this. It's a little, like, ick for some reasons now with, like, Columbus discovering America. Mm. I wish I could take that out of it. (laughs) Just because that's, like, of course, the classic um, old American story that we're all trying to, like, you know, be better about our American history and honor the stolen lands of people, you know. So that's in here, just to give a little disclaimer before we read this. But this intro is so beautiful and it hit me so hard um also toto like at the top of it in the wizard's hat i think (laughs) it's just so cute um the thing that hit me hard and i actually shared this at my last woman's circle through the circlehood um was this moment before we read the classic the classic quote from here if you happen to like the story give credit to my little friend's clever hint And by the way, don't hesitate to write me your own hints and suggestions, such as result from your own daydreams. They will be sure to interest me, even if I cannot use them in a story. And the very fact that you have dreamed at all will give me pleasure and do you good. For after all, dear reader, these stories of Oz are just yours and mine, and we are partners. As long Mm -hmm. as you care to read them, I shall try to write them. Hmm. that got me friends like I was in books of wonder it was pouring outside I was literally ambushed there because I could not I had no umbrella (laughs) and it was like horrible out so I just was like I guess I'll stay here for a while I had no plans to buy this book and this is definitely what changed that um but I read this and got really emotional just because I feel like I stopped myself a lot because I'm like what does it matter you know like who's gonna see this um Hmm what is it going to progress? So I just stop ideas sometimes. And I agree with bomb. Sometimes you just need to let the idea out and it doesn't matter if it like one person knows about it or no one knows about it. You just have to let them out. And this, just this acknowledgement of like the joy that things bring him, even if he can't get back in an age of ghosting, I think we're in an age of ghosting right now, you know, like we don't hear from people often. This is just beautiful medicine to keep persisting, persevering on. I think it also beautifully echoes the quote most attributed to him, to please a child is a sweet and lovely thing that warms one's heart and brings its own reward. I hope my book will succeed in this way that the children will like it. I think Baum, all throughout his life, wanted to please children, wanted to write to amuse children. And the few times that he does say something about that, it's just so sincere and so evidently straight from his heart that... it's a wonderful piece to this introduction. Yeah, the sincerity. You're correct. Like, yeah. it's just so honest. Like, please keep writing me. It brings me joy mm-hmm. and it'll do you good. That really just, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, I'm getting emotional just like <laughs> saying it out loud. Em, do you want to mm-hmm. read the top of this, this whole thing about imagination? Because it's like, yeah, I feel like he unlocked something like Pandora's box. I know. It feels <laughs> like it's just like, like lore. Oh. Yeah. Lore, yeah. yeah. I I love this. Um, So the top starts, some of my youthful readers are developing wonderful imaginations. This pleases me. Imagination has brought mankind through the dark ages to its present state of civilization. Imagination led Columbus to discover America. Imagination led Franklin to discover electricity. Imagination has given us the steam engine, the telephone, the talking machine, and the automobile, for these things had to be dreamed of before they became realities. So I believe that dreams, daydreams, you know, with your eyes wide open and your brain machinery whizzing, are likely to lead to the betterment of the world. The imaginative child will become the imaginative man or woman most apt to create, to invent, and therefore to foster civilization. 
a prominent educator tells me that fairy tales are of untold value in developing imagination in the young. I believe it. Me too, mom. Got some chills. Mm -hmm. Man, everything before it was created had to be imagined. It had to start in someone's mind. This also gives me, we always kind of bring it back to like Disney. It's that very just like, don't let go. It's a very pure, don't let go of your imagination. Don't let go of your dreams because they can lead to magical things, whether people see it or not. And I also was really drawn to the last paragraph, as you both were mentioning, when even just this author sharing to his young readers, like, tell me your ideas. I want to hear them. I don't want it to just be me creating all of this. Like, I always just love that he does take his readers' ideas. And I feel like that as a child is kind of the most encouraging thing you can feel is like, oh, wow, my thoughts matter. My ideas do matter. And it does become this collaborative creation instead of like, oh, the adult is smarter than me. They'll write the story. I love that it he kind of invites his readers in to create the world of Oz. Yeah, there's equality. Mm-hmm. There's no age hierarchy, mm-hmm. I think, in Bombs. Mind, which is I really just love that. beautiful. It's like a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a community for sure. Mm-hmm. And he's yeah. not on a Pessim Island. <laughs> no, no. We love Pessim Island. Pessim Island. <laughs> Bless Pessim. Oh my. Bless him. He was so well known for responding to fan letters too. Lots mm-hmm. and lots of fan letters to him as well as replies are out there in the collectible market. So we can really see how kindly and gently and appreciatively he spoke to the young fans who wrote him. Mm. Oh, good. Because we just assumed Maude made a bond. That's <laughs> well, good to know. There's the lots ones, of surviving. <laughs> the ones that he sent back to fans, they kept. Right. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, right. that's that's something cool. you can actually see his words written to um other fans or to, to his young readers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're beautiful. I found a couple mm. online and have posted a couple because they are very special and very beautiful. I love that. Shall we get into illustrations? Favorite illustration from this mm. book holding up John Arneal, who apparently Bomb was like, I like your work on this one. He was really into this because we I dealt reconciled. with some drama in previous books yeah. oh <laughs> with him goodness. and John Arneal, but he was really liking the humor that was coming through <laughs> and John Arneal's works in this one. Mm. I mean, Any one of my favorites, it's kind of obvious, is before we even dive in, this color plate of Ozma. Duh. Um, at the top. At the very, very top, even before, I think it's before the prologue or the, yeah, the note to the readers even happens. There stood their lovely girl, girl ruler, Ozma. Ozma of Oz. And she just has her, it, this is, it feels classic. It's just like her classic tall crown, her flower crown, her scepter, the Emerald City and behind her. I mean, it's just, it's gorgeous. The this, Emerald City with like faces. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like Neil did an exceptionally good job in this book of mixing portraits, mm. some of which catch really fun, unusual expressions. There's one of the patchwork girl that's a chapter <laughs> header where she's just got this really goofy look on her face. A lot of that kind of illustration with really action pictures. Yeah. Um, yes. when, you, when you mentioned a favorite, the first one that came to mind, although, you know, show me all of them on in front of me and I, I changed my mind, no doubt. There's a charming picture of the cowardly lion riding on the woozy uh-huh. he has all four of his feet real tight together to fit on the woozy's back and this alarmed expression on his face but neil just put all kinds of time into the curly cues and details in that uh, black and white illustration for this book so mm-hmm. i've always particularly liked it and i just going through it you know you've I got the you've got characters meeting you've got the um wizard thrusting a match into fire you've got dorothy flinging herself onto the merry-go-round mountains scare a patchwork girl you know on the edge of um the pieces of harness i started to say the edge of the rope again leaping over chasms the frogman leaping over chasms button bright climbing out on a limb to pick that peach so <laughs> yes. I, I feel like Neil did a really good job of actually illustrating the action of the story in addition to just providing um, some of the really best portraits of the characters that we have whenever we're trying to illustrate Oz material in general. That one shot of the tin man dropping a drop of oil on his neck. 
Yeah, that's not mm-hmm. a detail. I don't remember that that was a detail happening in the story at the time. Oh, yeah, he did. He carefully oiled his joints. I'm seeing it right here. But, oh, um, yes, yes. You know, it, he just added He just added a lot to it. I thought it was fun. It is very action-packed. Yeah, I love that that's caught in the yeah, illustrations. Yeah, this is a good one. So, yeah. This is a good – well, he was like – the title was Adventures in Oz, right? Right. right. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're going to do some adventures. Um, you wonder what the title was when Neil got it. <laughs> you know, when Neil first got the book yeah. um, because he would have gotten the manuscript well in advance. Right. I wonder, because this is actually light on his girl portraits. He's really not active in doing all the portraits as he has been in the past. It's definitely, like you said, been more flow and movement in these in these awesome images. Mm-hmm. And I also, this is one of the first books where it says like chapter 23, like the numbers are in instead of like um, having Roman numerals. Mm-hmm. I've been, I've, not maybe the first, but one of the only, because I usually get like, what chapter mm-hmm. am I on? <laughs> but this was the book that I was like, oh. And I love the little sketches he does with each top of chapter mm-hmm. of like kind of the lead character mm-hmm. in each chapter. Yeah, It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. But my favorite is the end papers because oh, I think this is a scene that we're looking at that doesn't happen in our book. It's like something that probably happens afterwards that our sweet cake, the cookie girl, is finally able to make some hot buns Aww, for all the people in Oz <laughs> with her dishpan, her diamond-studded dishpan. <laughs> And everyone is at her window, and they can't Aww. wait to eat it. The woozy looks like he doesn't want one, though, in the window. Also, friends, where is the hungry tiger? He's been outcast. I don't know what happened Aww. to him. We have to talk about that. Sad. He's like a clear missing. Oh, yeah, he's weird. clearly missing weird. from this book. It's mm. also odd that Toto, at the end of one of the chapters, chapter 10, there's a picture of Toto crying. So that dog weird. looks absolutely nothing like any other appearance of Toto. Nope. Keeps yeah, it's like, nope. where did this You're Toto right. come from? If it weren't a I dog, you wouldn't know what that. character. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I clocked that for the Instagram. I was like, I'm going to uh, do a Toto That is not Toto evolution. at all. Because <laughs> it's like his inconsistencies in Toto, the bulldog it's in past books. Too. Like, it's very bizarre. Oh, my yeah. God. Oh, here's so, a, yeah, you're right. Yeah, here's you're a picture right. on page weird. 83 where he has that little, small, long-haired dog look he always ah. has. And then you get up to page 149, and he looks much more like a little mixed I don't know. Not I don't not you wouldn't even think he was a terrier on that shot. They're just no. quite they're just quite different pictures. He's shape shifting. So yeah, <laughs> lost Magic his growl, belt. lost his appearance. No telling while well, I lost. There are oh, also a lot of are. nice two page well, not a lot. I'm spotting a couple two page spreads in this book, which mm. not all the Oz books seem to have that much. I, I feel like Neil was really going to great lengths to um put a lot of himself into this. And there like I mentioned the expression on scraps face at a chapter heading there's one of the woozy lying on his side sleeping Mm -hmm. you just see little glimpses of the daily Mm -hmm. life of different characters throughout this book that um you don't see in some of the other ones so they make sort of a a more well-rounded portrait of some of the characters Mm -hmm. Mm, agreed Thank you so much for joining us for part one of The Lost Princess of Oz. Stay tuned for part two dropping this Wednesday. See you then. Thank you so much for listening to Down the Yellow Brick Pod. If you are feeling fresh with your fingertips, scroll on over to Apple Podcasts and now Spotify woot woot to leave us a glowing rate and review. It's a big help. Each person who leaves us an Apple review will be entered to win our end of the season Oz giveaway, including a gift basket of Aussie book goodies that trust me, you aren't going to want to miss. All previous reviews will also be considered in our entries. We see you. Further fun and ways to support us can be found at our Etsy swag shop from Good Witch Trouble merch to our new Fab Four of Oz icon collection with a big shout out to our graphic designer, Maddie Frank. Find us also on Patreon and Instagram via Down the Yellow Brick Pod, as well as on Venmo at Down the YBP. We always appreciate a tip tip here. Let's escape to Oz soon, okay? Okay, Auntie M. <laughs>